Hello and welcome to Army of Crime, your favorite comic book related podcast. I am your host, Matt, and I'm here with my co-host, Dustin. Hello, Dustin. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. How okay. are you today, Matt? Uh, pretty good. My three-year-old gave me some screwdrivers as a present. Um, they were my own screwdrivers that he gave back to me, but I think you become a real dad when your son gives you screwdrivers. Yeah, I think that's that's probably true. I don't have any children, so I guess I wouldn't know. Yeah, sure. So this episode, uh, we are looking at something that is kind of, I feel, an underrated. It's kind of an oddball in, in superhero comics here. So on our show, you know, we talk about comic books a lot, but there's this whole thing in America where comic books and superheroes are often used as a synonym, right? And we try and push back on that here. Um, I'm usually the one that's like, mm, let's talk about Superman. And then you're like, let's talk about obscure, uh, you know, European art folios. And you actually picked a superhero for us to go over for this episode, um, which is the run on Daredevil, written by Anne Nocenti, and has about half of it, maybe about 65% of it, has art by John Romita Jr., yeah, I am a big fan of John Romita Jr. And I also had read some issues here and there of uh, the Daredevil comics that um, Anne Nocenti had written. And I had found them always to be sort of interesting. So I kind of wanted to check out the, the, uh, or, or the whole run that she had on this character, which is... Daredevil 236, and then it's 238 to 245, 247 to 257, and 259 to 291. So unlike, she actually took over right after um, Frank Miller had done some work on it with the famous Born Again Daredevil miniseries, but unlike some kind of superstar like Frank Miller, um, this was more of like a normal run that a writer or artist would have on a superhero comic, meaning that it occasionally gets broken up by weird crossovers and such. But given that Anne Nocenti's interesting authorial voice, I thought it could be fun to check out what she had done with this character. And Matt, had you, I know that you are a big Daredevil fan. Yeah. Uh, had you read all of these comics before? So I had not read them all. And I would say Daredevil is probably my favorite superhero. If we were picking favorites, I would say Daredevil probably my favorite superhero. And no, I had not read it, although I own some of it in single issues. It's a weird run. So you gave the numbers there. Um, what did you say? I, I don't even I, I literally made a note of what issues it is. It's you have to sort of like piece it together in some encyclopedia like fashion because um, it's not all collected and some of it's not even on comiXology. So you ha if you if you want to get the complete experience, you have to like head to eBay because I had a note here that said 236, 238 to 292. But there are some fill in issues by other writers that I think I overlooked there. So Anne Nocenti, I think, is kind of interesting because she was not a um you know a lot of a lot of the reason i think why comic books are often superhero comics are, are often really forgettable is because the people who make them often come in just as big superhero fans so it sort of turns into this like self-referential 
you know, like people just like messing around with toying around with their own like nostalgia. And she uh, was not a um, her background was more in like film and in journalism. And she, I believe, got started writing superhero comics just by answering like a want ad in the Village Voice. She had written some like random stuff here and there like some X-Men stuff with, uh, I think she invented the character of Longshot um, and some other like random things here and there. But then she had this long run on Daredevil for like a a little over like four years. So anyway, I think what's interesting about it is that through that you see kind of someone who has broader interests outside of the world of like superhero continuity. So, I mean, I don't know, what do you think is the best way to talk about it because this is kind of a large chunk of comics. Yeah, I I, I would say a couple words about what I think this run does, her, her run does very well on the character and, wh- and why that's interesting. And then we can kind of jump into some specifics here. And I think the thing that makes uh, superheroes so enduring and obviously superheroes are everywhere now. It's like a giant thing. And you might ask the question, okay, why? Why are superheroes such a big deal? Specifically, why are superheroes work so well with comic books? And there's something about making an ideological or an internal struggle into an outward physical struggle. So it's like there's a lot of symbolism involved, I think, is sort of the strength of a superhero, right? It's like very idealistic in the sense that you're literally like putting ideas in into some kind of form. Um, does that kind of make sense? Like it's a very kind of like straightforward way of having ideas just kind of like fight each other. Um, and it, so in, in a way it, it lets you do some kind of interesting things with stories. Um, and part of the thing you end up with, especially with this mainstream stuff is there's a lot of shorthand that you use like conventions, right? Cause you're, you're picking up this character that has this whole history and she does an interesting, I think thing with that because the run starts right after Frank Miller Uh, had written Born Again, which is, of course, like this big deal series that everyone reads. And she starts right after that, and she kind of picks it up where he leaves it. Um, And she does an interesting thing, you know, of moving the story forward while also having these one-off, like, issues um, of, like, little, like, asides of, like, different topics and stuff. So you could have Daredevil talk about, like, income inequality or something for two issues, and then there's, like, a serial killer, and then he meets... There's like a story about voodoo, right? While also jumping back and forth into like the main storyline. And certainly this is a common thing, but I just think she does it really well. And the idea that she was not like a comics writer professionally before coming to this is interesting because she really is very able. She's a very um, adept at like jumping back and forth between different kinds of stories. And she really like brings in the whole concept of like, like superheroes like she's not afraid to like throw everything in there you know because sometimes you get this thing where you're like okay this is like a serious thing so we're going to make it serious and only serious things can happen and like sometimes it gets like buck wild you know and she's not afraid to just like go all out on it while also telling like there's a story later in it where he meets um captain america and there's a guy trying to build a car out of like old soap boxes or something so you, you get a lot, and it's kind of an oddball thing. It's kind of all over the place. You, you kind of see what I'm saying? It's Maybe I'm giving her too much credit, but like I said before, I really do like Daredevil, and I think she does a really good job with it. Yeah, I mean, I agree that these are really good. I, initially, it, it, it kind of starts off with like these kind of one-off issues where you sort of understand 
um, Nocenti's background is sort of unique in that she is interested in these like broader uh, issues of like racism and you mentioned income inequality and sexism and like environmental issues. So you have Daredevil initially her first issue has Daredevil fighting this like ex soldier named I believe his name is Jack Hazard who's sort of like nuke from that Frank Miller invented. And then that kind of ties into these like soldiers that are being used by the government. You have like a serial killer who's obsessed with like toxic waste or obsessed with like poisons and stuff. And you have like a guy who kills rich people. So she like touches on all of these, you know, like social issues, which if you look at the letter pages and some of these issues, you'll see people complaining about that kind of stuff, which I find kind of hilarious. But then the main, she gets into what I feel like is maybe one of the best stories in here is where she um, starts to introduce the character of Typhoid Mary. And that is also around the point where John Romita Jr. starts drawing Daredevil. And I should mention earlier, too, that there's an issue that's drawn by uh, Barry Windsor Smith, which is really fun, where Daredevil and Black Widow team up against rejected, like, super soldier rejects, which is kind of like a plot thread that doesn't get picked up again. But this, like, storyline where you have the Kingpin hires Typhoid Mary, destroy Daredevil, and then you have Daredevil, like, fighting off all of these, like, different villains and dealing with Typhoid Mary, and it's drawn, I think, really well by... John Romita Jr. Yeah, and um, one of the things that I think she sort of gets at, and I think why these stories, some of these work pretty well, is is Daredevil um, is is kind of a, a more humane type of superhero uh, because he does have a disability, and as the story starts, he's basically homeless, and it gives it a little bit different perspective, I think, to have that kind of character in there, and. You mentioned Daredevil, like like one of my favorite single issues, which I bought, I think, in a flea market for five dollars based solely on the fact that it had like one of the portrait covers. They Marvel did this thing where they, everybody had like one issue that was like a portrait cover. That's the Daredevil 236 that you mentioned. Um, it's probably one of my favorite single issues of like a comic. Like it's very extremely good and it's not collected in anything. And she has these X, X-Men crossovers. I think there's like five or six X-Men crossovers by the time you get through the whole thing. And like Daredevil, I think it's 252 which I had to look this up, is a tie-in to um, Fall of the Mutants, where, like, the power goes out and New York descends into anarchy, is, like, another tremendous issue um, that I think really touches on what can be interesting about, like, the concept of a superhero. But, I mean, it's not... That's, that one's not even in any of the collections either. Um, and then Typhoid is actually, like, a long-standing Marvel character now. And I, I think it actually... You know, she's, like... There's some kind of commentary in there about how women are viewed in society, certainly, um, which is a pretty obvious concept, especially when applying to a superhero and like the idea of a secret identity. Um, but she does it very well. And like Typhoid has, you know, is still like a Marvel character. I can't remember if she shows up in one of the TV shows or not, but she's like a longstanding Marvel character now. And, and she has uh, a number of issues that touch on like gender roles. And I think Typhoid is a is a good character as like a sort of vessel to do that. Yeah, because Typhoid Mary's her shtick is that she has like this split personality where she, there's Mary who's sort of like the uh, like a virgin whore dichotomy where Typhoid Mary goes around having all kinds of like loose sex and killing people and doing whatever she wants without care for anyone in the world, whereas her alter ego Mary is this like repressed kind of like good girl who's 
concerned with always like doing the right thing and like being nice to people. And so it's like you have this character who vacillates between these two extremes of like these like gender kind of stereotypes. And in the story, like Mary, the Mary persona, who doesn't fully realize that there is another persona, like she doesn't realize that she's part of Typhoid Mary. She like falls in love with Matt Murdock and then Typhoid, while Typhoid Mary is trying to destroy Daredevil. But yeah, like you said, I mean, superhero stories, I think, are good at getting a, being able to like animate these ideas through the metaphors of like these ridiculous characters. And I think Typhoid Mary is a good example of a ridiculous character that's, um, and I don't mean ridiculous in a bad way, I just mean like an over-the-top character whose conceptualization has these inherently interesting uh, aspects to it. And and then, of course, there's, um, you know, later, too, you get this other character who's like a, a woman that's like modified in a lab to be like the perfect, like, wife or something. That So, I mean, this interest in like exploring like gender roles in society is the writer Nocenti is interested in that like she keeps coming back to in various ways. But I think the Typhoid Mary storyline is one of the strongest. And then as this goes on, you know, Daredevil, like you said, he is involved in this crossover where power goes out in New York City and that's a really good issue. Then there's another crossover where demons invade New York City. Um, there's another crossover later where he has to fight Ultron, which is like really random. But I think one of, along with Typhoid Mary's story, one of the best stories in here is the one where Daredevil basically has to deal with the, the devil himself, who in the Marvel Universe is called Mephisto. And I think this is where some of like John Romita Jr.'s best art is in the way he draws Mephisto and the way he draws Hell. Matt, what did you think of... Uh, daredevil's adventures inside hell see i thought that was awesome and that's the thing that again with like superheroes and stuff you, you really gotta like turn it up to 11 i think and to and so i feel like a lot of people at least i could say with like a daredevil character or you know like a quote-unquote like street level character there's sometimes a, seem like afraid to do that um it makes me think of how like it's i think in the 90s denny o'neill asked them to take batman out of justice league because batman was like a serious character and it would, you know, make him less grounded or something if he was working alongside Superman and that kind of thing. And, you know, Daredevil lives in the Marvel universe. So like, let's go nuts sometimes. So I'm a hundred percent on board with that. And of course, Daredevil is one of the few characters that actually has like a religious background, like, like actual, like religious beliefs that people talk about and he talks about and the idea that he is going to like punch it out with the devil. I mean, when you say it like that, it sounds like silly, but, but it works in the storyline and it actually is a really cool way where like as daredevil is reaching like this personal low in his life it it segues into this inferno crossover at like the same time so as he's like going into like a personal hell he like comes to and like literally the city has been taken over and now he's like punching it out with demons like in the streets yeah and to be clear i was i mean i like this story i, I thought it, it was really good i wasn't saying it was bad and then there's also this uh, character called Blackheart, who's like created by Mephisto, who sort of like finds the evil or like brings out the evil in other people. There's another epic collection that collects part of this called Heart of Darkness that's concerned with um, Daredevil. And then the uh, 
woman I mentioned whose name is number nine, and then there's two Inhumans, Gorgon and uh, what is the other guy, Karnak? Karnak, yeah, the guy yeah. who can see the weakness in all things. Yeah, who are also in here, but then there's a, you know the bet, and then there's a woman named Brandy that Daredevil uh, ends up staying with for a while. He like, yeah, there's he, like a stretch in the story where he just walks the earth like Kane from Kung Fu and just has adventures. And yeah, like you said, he runs into Ultron, uh, the Inhumans. Doctor Doom has a cameo. I think he meets Doctor Strange at some point. Um, he meets Captain America. Anyway, what I was saying was that the storyline where Daredevil and these other supporting characters like go to hell and have to confront sort of their inner demons and actual real demons is pretty fantastic. And I especially think that the art of uh, John Romita Jr. and drawing like Mephisto himself as the sort of bizarre like weird misshapen like crocodile looking giant monster and all of like the legions of you know damned souls in hell and this like strange prickly creature called Blackheart who's also like a demonic force I don't know I, I just uh, and like the way that he does this thing that with like lots of like cross hatching and like vertical lines sometimes. Have you like noticed this or like lots of? I don't know exactly how to describe it, but he has does this thing that's like extremely detailed using like a a huge amount of like slashing vertical lines and stuff. So anyway, did you enjoy? The art by John Romita Jr. Yeah, no, the art by him um, is amazing. I will say the art gets a little mixed at times because they switch out artists a lot. Um, Steve Ditko does the art for one issue, which is really random. Yeah, there's a random felon issue drawn by Steve Ditko, and yeah, the and beyond that, yeah, there's quite a few other people who are kind of like I mentioned. There was one really nice issue drawn by Barry Windsor Smith. Um, so other than that, yeah, it it can be a little up and down as different like people come and go. Yeah, the the arc where where Daredevil like they go to an underworld or like the equivalent of the underworld for Marvel is really cool, and you know it's a good use of the character because like I said, he actually has religious beliefs, right? Whereas most like for some reason or whatever, I mean, most superheroes don't have a religious preference, even though like in people in real life do. But I guess just to um, hedge their bets or something and not offend readers for whatever reason. Like, basically, no mainstream superheroes ever talk about religion, except for, I guess, Daredevil and Nightcrawler are the two because they're Catholic. I'm not sure how that came about. But the idea then that he actually goes to the underworld. Um, and the interesting thing is they talk about how you can't defeat evil by fighting. And he has to find, like, some way, some kind of, like, other path, um, which is one of the things that I think makes Daredevil an interesting character because his whole shtick is that he promised, you know, he promises his dad that he won't be a violent person. And then he has to break that promise to his dad all the time, like every day, and is actually a very violent person. And she kind of teases that out in a number of stories where he has to find some kind of balance in his life um, between being a violent person and being like more of a humanist. Um, and, and, and she kind of uses that to good effect when he's like literally trapped in the underworld and you can't, he can't punch his way out. There's literally, you know, there's too many demons. Mephisto is the size of Godzilla. Uh, you can't punch your way out. Yeah. Uh, it is sort of, um, you know, it's interesting because 
in these kinds of stories, the role of violence to like solve the central conflict is usually not examined at all, but it is one of the overarching ideas in this series is examining the ways in which Daredevil relies on violence to fix things and how that is, you know, can be bad and how perhaps he would be better off like not always resorting to violence and like the different effects that has, which I think is like, it's a really interesting idea that kind of comes and goes throughout this series. One of the things that I thought was interesting is there's a, there's a crossover with the Punisher. Um, and there's, like I said, there's a lot of crossovers. He meets the silver surfer. It's a, the silver surfer shows up at some point. And there's a lot of characters jumping in and out, but when he crosses over with the Punisher, I think you kind of see why, daredevil is a little bit more of an interesting character than i think a lot of superheroes because he is actively trying to help the people that he's also trying to stop because he he, they have to the punisher is trying to kill this guy this is like a thing that happens you know periodically the punisher has to try and kill somebody and some other superhero either like spider-man or daredevil has to stop them or whatever um but it's not really ever i don't think it usually gets examined you know in superheroes because there's a lot of violence and people get beat up and usually you know you like tie the guy to the street light or whatever and that's the end of it um but daredevil you know he he defends people in court after he's stopped them from doing something bad um, and he's really trying to like redeem people. It's like he believes in redemption, which ties back into the fact that he is Christian. Um, and I think that comes through in like the Punisher crossover in a sort of interesting way. Well, what I would say is interesting about it is that you have a contrast in these two issues, one written by Mike Barron. Yeah, who was, who, who was written just like oodles of Punisher comics. Yeah, it is now like an avowedly, I believe, like right wing guy who... I think was working on some sort of like, like recently some kind of like right wing jingoistic comic book, and then you see some somebody come at the same story uh, from Anne Nocenti's like left wing perspective, where instead of it just being about like a demented killer who has to be put down like a rabid dog, like examines the the societal forces that led someone to think that they that killing people was like their only option. And then it shows you the possible avenues to like rehabilitate this person. Yeah. So so it's like a, in like a two part of the same story, like a part one and well, it's actually just like, I think it more like Rashomon style goes back and shows what happened from the other character's perspective um, for the most part, but it basically just shows these two writers like competing outlooks on the same story with i think no chanty's outlook being much more interesting than the standard like the bad guy needs to be shot in the head perspective although she actually writes a good punisher like her internal narration of the punisher is actually uh for him being the guest character i thought was actually very good i don't really remember that part of it but oh he, he she had him keep repeating like the enemy kills at random or something like that like he had his little motto and he refers to all like bad guys as the enemy um so you kind of see like his like little pathology, like he's stuck in this forever war. I mean, it, you don't get a lot of it, but I, I thought I thought she did a good job. It wasn't just like dunking on this other character, you know, um, like you get Frank Castle's. I mean, I like the Punisher, too, as a character. I think you have to be careful with what stories you tell uh, with Frank Castle because he lends himself to, you know, you mentioned some kind of weird like right wing agenda. Um, but I think she does a good job with his narration. You know, there's another really good story in here that's all about nuclear war. 
issue 250, I have a note, is about nuclear war called Boom. So that's, again, another, like, one-off about, like, a specific topic about this kid who gets really scared that a nuclear war is starting and he starts stockpiling stuff in his house. Bullet is, like, this uh, mercenary whose son, uh, because of a lesson in school, becomes extremely... And I believe the lesson is from a teacher who was actually in Hiroshima. Is that my rubric? That correct? Yeah, yeah. And basically telling them about the, the evils of nuclear war and the kid becomes terrified that like a nuclear war is going to break out. So he starts like stockpiling canned food and stuff in his apartment. And then due to some uh, tie in to an X-Men crossover that was happening at the same time, like I don't remember exactly why, but like all the power goes out in New York City and there's like a big explosion and people think that a nuclear war has just broken out. And then basically like society breaks down and daredevil finds himself having to you know like try and maintain some semblance of like order and sanity to prevent like people from needlessly dying and killing each other yeah which has a cool moment where the power goes out and everyone can't see and then he's just like i'm blind all the time so, so oh I'll help yeah you. and they all have to hold hands and he like leads them so again, I think there's a little bit of like a humanism that you get in in the blind superhero. I mean, I feel like all superheroes have. I mean, if it, they yeah, usually they don't have like a disability, like you're saying, but they definitely all have some kind of like trauma that humanizes them, where like their parents, usually involving their dead parents. Like all good superhero comics, it does veer into soap opera because he loses his memory at one point. Yeah, I think that that's kind of like the ending of uh, the last part. The last story here is where, um, yeah, he gets amnesia and then becomes a boxer under his dad's name of Jack uh, Murdoch, which um, is definitely, I would say, probably the weakest part of this. Yeah, very, like, soap opera-y. And then it almost comes to, like, an intentionally anticlimactic ending. I should say this is also after John Romita Jr. leaves. Right. Yeah. And I, I you know, I, I kind of respect the, the intentionally anticlimactic ending because like with superhero comic, you can't really change anything with like an established property like this. So I think she just finds like a good spot to end and kind of just puts a period on it and says, OK, that's the end, I suppose. You know, she has him grow somewhat as a character, but they can never grow completely. Right. He can't like surrender and like give up his fighting or whatever. So she has him, you know, he experiences some kind of growth. Um, and then she just kind of puts a period on it and wraps it up and says, we'll call that the end. Like, I respect that because sometimes you get to the end and it's like, you know, writers, they're killing off people that, you know, are going to come back later or they're blowing stuff up that, you know, is just going to get rebuilt in the next issue. So there's something to be said for, um, just finding a stopping point and jumping off the train and letting, knowing that someone else is just going to jump on the next issue. I guess. It makes me think of so I you probably don't read as many, but I like um we had this period where I was reading a lot of like X Men comics and like every every writer would jump on and just like kill off a bunch of people and blow up the X mansion and then the next writer would come on and bring them all back to life and rebuild the mansion. So I, I, I just respect the idea like, okay, we're not gonna blow up the mansion, we're not gonna kill off a bunch of people. We'll just we'll just let it let it kind of uh skid to a halt and let the next person take over. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess every story has a good, you know, ending. I'm not, I guess I'm not a person who's all that concerned with how it works. 
inside or inside the larger continuity because that's all just a giant fluster cuck anyway but uh, i mean every story has its own natural ending i mean um she starts writing it right after born again which completely changes the status quo um for daredevil and that's like a good ending for born again and you know this has its own good ending for this story yeah yeah as you can tell i'm more of a nerd about daredevil um which is why I was excited that you picked this and not me. Because if I had tried to make you read Daredevil, you might have resisted. Well, I would have maybe resisted if it was just like, I don't know, there have to be some kind of interesting. And even in this, like the, like the story where he fights Ultron is like so random, but it actually has sort of an interesting thing with how the character of number nine, uh, who's like the, genetically engineered perfect woman interacts with Ultron because they're both kind of like schizophrenic about what purpose they're meant to serve in the world. And then there isn't really like even much of a fight at the end. They're just, um, is, does number nine ever show up in Daredevil comics again? Not that I'm aware of, and I've read a good chunk of it. I haven't read the rest of this series because it's not really collecting a lot like this, like, um, like before it got relaunched at a number one. So I'm, I'm not, Sure, I don't think so, to be honest. Okay. I think overall, if we want to put a final point on it, I think it's good. I would recommend it to people like as a whole arc. Um, the the collecting of it by Marvel is kind of scattershot, and you know they're not all home runs certainly, and and the art can go up and down. You know, the John Romita Jr. is is obviously awesome. Um, and does a great job with like, you know, New York City, Daredevil's facial expressions, Mephisto, the size of Godzilla, you know, all that kind of stuff, like Ultron, he draws a, a mean Ultron. Um, and then you get some stories about, you know, like there's the random Steve Ditko drawn fill in that was like, almost felt like some kind of weird Silver Age throwback or something. It felt very out of place, to be honest. And then some of the one offs, I would say you could probably live without. Um, and then it skids to almost like an intentionally anticlimactic ending. So I'm not going to say it's all home runs, but it, it is very good overall. And I think it attempts to tell something interesting with what I feel is a more interesting superhero than many of them. I mean, this is a conversation for another time, but I'm not all that convinced there is such a thing as a more or less interesting superhero. It all just depends upon the story itself and how you how you write them and how you draw them um but anyway i would say that there's a big chunk of this is collected by marvel in these two so-called epic collections daredevil epic collection volume 13 and 14 called a touch of typhoid and heart of darkness and i think these are both the quality and in, in the the stories that are collected in, in both of these books are pretty well done you get a lot of you get these like typhoid Mary, Mary stories, which are really good, and the stories with him in hell. And then, like we were kind of saying, there are some of these random like X Men crossovers and stuff that um, are. Well, actually, I think I don't know that the X Men crossovers are in these as much, but you do get these random like one offs that are less interesting. Um, yeah, like there's the, the, the weird like Steve Ditko fill in issue. Which is actually kind of interesting just to see, you know, some Steve Ditko art 
Yeah, it really like breaks up the the flow of the story. Yeah, I mean it's not it's, it's like, not bad in and of itself, but it's just like very jarring. You like turn the page, and you're in some kind of like Silver Age throwback almost, starring, um, drawn by yeah by Steve with, with the very, owl. Yeah, it's very it feels very random. Well, in in the I don't know if you saw this, but in there they actually say it's because John Romita was getting married, so Anno Chanti wrote an issue for a different artist while until they could get back to the main storyline. Anyway, I would say that we both probably agree that overall, these are a set of pretty uh, strong comic books. Yeah, I think I would recommend them to someone even though it wasn't like a superhero nerd necessarily. I, I, I think there's some interesting ideas there. Yeah, I think they're well done. Yeah, like you were saying, they're the best of these stories, the best of these comic books, particularly the, as I mentioned, the Mephisto storyline and the Typhoid Mary storyline, both get at that thing that this kind of fiction can do well, where you have uh, characters who are all like metaphors for big ideas. And then you can have sort of ideas like battle each other out through these larger than life stories. And I think that's kind of what you get this is a good batch of comic books written by Ann Nochanti, drawn by various artists, including John Romita Jr. And about the fictional superhero named Daredevil. Well, that's our show. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Army of Crime. Dustin is at Dustin four 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 four. Yeah. Um, website armyofcrime.com. Um, you can come tell us we're dumb or or whatever. Uh, it is people do on the internet. Or not. Who cares? It's a free country still. Yeah. Leave a five star review if you thought it was interesting. If you like Daredevil. If you think. Uh, if we convince you to read it, leave a five star review. Um, I I do still heartily recommend Daredevil number. 236. Type that into eBay if you want a, a good one. What else was in your notes? Um, let's talk about the part where he drinks beer at a bar and then kisses Mephisto, who's disguised as a woman. <laughs> <laughs>